Welcome to another Tyrius Cast. I'm Jim McGregor. And I'm Kevin Crewell. And today we're going to be taking a quick wrap-up of the highlights of 2019 and taking a look forward at 2020. Some of the hottest topics of 2019 were 5G, foldable smartphones, AI. Don't forget automotive, autonomous vehicles, 7 nanometer AR, VR, connected PCs, and many more. 2019 definitely proved to be an exciting year. And although we don't have any huge technology transitions like 5G in 2020, next year still looks to be a very exciting year. So, Kevin, what would you rate as your biggest or most notable things in 2019 for the industry? Well, we definitely have seen a lot of AI. We've seen a lot of AI conferences, for one thing. But there's a lot going on. AI at the edge is now picking up a lot of interest. And by edge, we kind of mean edge of the network because the definition of edge is somewhat fuzzy, depending on who you talk to. There's a lot of AI innovation. We've seen wafer scale training from Cerebus. We've seen analog, optical, neuromorphic. We've seen all types of, of forms of AI. There's also digital twin for training, the uh, superpod. And there's a changing landscape. We've seen Habana get acquired by Intel. And that, to add it to Nirvana, which is the other company they had bought. So if you want to start a company and get bought by Intel, you should end the company's name in Ana. <laughs> <laughs> We've seen wave computing implode suddenly. And then there's others that are just starting to pop out their first silicon. And we don't know what's going to happen in 2020 with those guys, but there are still a bunch also just in stealth. We, we, you know, it's even hard to fathom how many companies there are in China that are working on AI. Yeah, it's also interesting to see what we've seen in terms of its impact on the market. I mean, now we're seeing AI being pushed more towards the edge So every in every type of solution, whether it's a sensor with just a microcontroller, whether it's a, a router, whether it's a base station. Everyone's trying to integrate AI throughout the system, and rightfully so, because you need to account for performance and latency issues. You have to account for security. You also have to account for limited bandwidth and bandwidth constraints, especially when you're pushing terabytes of data up to the cloud. But we're also seeing it impact the industry. I mean, you mentioned the digital twin. That's a huge thing for autonomous vehicles. We can't train these things on the road. So there's a big push towards trying to have training solutions in the cloud where you have a complete digital twin of the car. Matter of fact, NVIDIA introduced its own supercomputer. It's basically a plug-in supercomputer called the SuperPod that allows OEMs to start training solutions. And even on the silicon side, you look at a lot of, uh, based on what happened with Tesla, a lot of the OEMs and tier ones are now looking at doing custom silicon solutions. And it's being enabled not only by the third-party IP and the foundry services, but now you have tools like the Pave 360 from Siemens. They have a solution where you can completely simulate everything from the silicon to the ECUs, actuators, sensors, the car, the city, the driving environment. You can basically simulate everything before you even have all your software and before you have your chip. Yeah, AI has definitely invaded just about every aspect of computing. I was at the supercomputing conference in Denver, and there was a lot of activity in AI at the supercomputing conference. In fact, there was a, a great panel that had four leading-edge companies, Grok, Graphcore, 
Cerebus, and Sambanova all on stage talking about their developments. And Sambanova finally showed off a, a real work, a real chip that they've been developing. And Grok actually showed up. <laughs> yeah, Grok showed up in this one. Uh, that, that's actually the, the, the point of that is they had sponsored a AI Hardware Summit speaking slot and then didn't show up for it. So because of, a, as they called it, a, a customer issue. So that was actually kind of amusing. Uh, but Grok seems to be real. Their founders came out of Google and uh, they did the original TPU at Google. So they've got, you know, a software-defined hardware approach. That's very, in, in many ways, that's the same thing that Sambanova is doing, and that's a spinoff from Stanford University. So there's a lot of interesting stuff going on in AI, and it's going to continue into uh, 2020. So I, I don't see this stopping at all. Yeah, I would agree. Uh, well, one, one other thing, one thing to add, um, Intel introduced the VNNI instructions, which are extensions to the x86 to, to accelerate more machine inference operations. And so we you know, expect to see more, even in standard x86s, that are optimized for AI. Well, and even ARM opened up their instruction set this year for their R class, or their real-time and uh, MCU-class processors. So that potentially could be used for AI as well. Yeah, well, I mean, ARM has their own extensions or their own accelerator as well. So there's definitely a room for instruction ex- uh, acceleration through you know custom instructions as well as coprocessors. You know, there's just a plethora of ways of approaching AI, and that's going to continue to be an interesting area to follow. This this is an area that is changing the compute landscape, and something we're really interested in following. Well, it's also being enabled by a lot of the new technology. I mean, there's been a big push this year to transition to 7 nanometer by a lot of the vendors, as well as the fact that packaging technology is taking a huge leap forward to, you know, increase memory bandwidth, increase overall system performance, and be able to reduce or increase power efficiency overall. Yeah, we're going through, and this is partly, even though 7 nanometer is coming up and we've got 7 nanometer in production from TSMC, you've got Samsung starting to ramp up its 7 nanometer EUV process. And you've got Intel's roughly equivalent 10 nanometer process that, uh, you know, struggling to get into high volume manufacturing, but it's starting to get there. Semiconductor process nodes are getting harder and harder to, to do at this point. And we're getting close to some interesting changes with, with gate all around technology coming and uh, maybe the next five or, or three nanometer node. There's going to be some changes there. And EUV is still a ways to go in terms of high volume manufacturing because we need to get the power levels up higher for for better yields and faster uh, performance or faster manufacturing flow. So um, with Moore's Law slowing, a lot of people are moving towards a packaging strategy based on chiplets where not everything is on the leading edge. And this is exemplified by AMD in their uh, Ryzen and Rome, uh, the Rome product for Epic where the I.O. functions are in 12 to 14 nanometer old, using uh, an older process node, but for I.O. where the process, leading edge process isn't required, and then using the 7 nanometer node for the processor in, processors in the cache where that really counts. So we're seeing more and more of this type of uh, heterogeneous packaging solutions, and Intel is going to be doing it as well with some of their products. Well, and AI and the semiconductor technology isn't the only news in that segment we should probably note. 
I mean, we've also had ray tracing introduced by NVIDIA in their GPUs, and that's starting to gain stream with content developers and games. We've seen AMD continue their comeback and be very competitive, especially on the uh, processor side with Intel. And there's also been a lot of news on the risk side that you were covering. Yeah, we've got um, we, uh, a new company that sprouted out uh, from some former uh, Apple employees called Nuvia. And uh, they made a big splash with a big funding round this year. And they are promising to build a uh, cutting-edge, high-performance server processor using ARM cores. Meanwhile, at AWS, they came up with their second generation of Graviton ARM servers using the latest Neoverse cores from ARM. And showed some real significant progress from the first generation. In addition, we've got Ampere, you've got Marvell. You've got the Huawei chips. There's a really fairly strongly growing ARM server movement going on right now. And I think that we'll continue to see this develop over time, even with a few setbacks like when Qualcomm and uh, Samsung canceled their programs. But we still see strong demand. I, you know, I expect to see more of the hyperscalers interested in ARM servers because they can be more power efficient, yet very performant, and you can put a lot of cores into one piece of silicon or uh, multi, multiple pieces of silicon if you do packaging. And that's, uh, that's very appealing to the hyperscalers. And even on the microcontroller side, we've seen a lot of innovation around RISC-V lately. You know, Qualcomm announced at the RISC-V Summit that they're now using RISC-V cores, microcontroller cores within their chips, pretty much starting with their latest generation going forward. NXP has already announced that they've been using them in some of their chips, and they're actually coming up with standalone RISC-V uh, microcontrollers. I guess it's also being used in Samsung. Western Digital has their own storage controller, and who else is using it? Well, Samsung is using it in their latest 5G modems. So they're, you know, both the Qualcomm, Samsung, NVIDIA, and Western Digital Designs are deeply embedded cores inside of other processors. But there's uh, definitely a move. I think the leading company right now is Sci5, but Andes in Taiwan is, is producing some really good cores. And a number of companies like Western Digital are, are open sourcing their cores after they develop them for in-house use. So... There's going to be a lots of opportunity for RISC-V to grow, and it, it's got interest in everything from automotive cores and defense department is interested. There's there's just a, no end to how much RISC-V can really permeate the, the ecosystem given time. And it's the I think the only caveat is it's still fairly new. There are still a number of the ex, instruction extensions are going through committee review. The vector instructions are just about finalized, so. That'll be good. And uh, there's, there's a lot of room for growth in RISC-V right now. Okay, let's switch modes because there was also one other really, really big topic in 2019. Something called 5G. Ah, 5G. <laughs> you, there, you can't go to a Qualcomm event and not hear 5G every five seconds, I think. <laughs> but 5G is... <laughs> it's not just them. It was everywhere this year. Yeah, it was. 5G is... Uh, and, you know... The the challenge for 5G, I think it's the same challenge that 4G had at the time, is people get complacent. Oh, you know, uh, right now people are saying LTE is good enough. I don't need 5G. But 5G is definitely going to step up the amount of bandwidth you get to your smartphone or to your device. And, and also it's going to reduce latency 
and improve efficiency of, of the existing bandwidth. So high-density areas such as stadiums will definitely see a benefit of having 5G. People in, in those, in those in venues will have real benefit from seeing 5G immediately with more bandwidth and less contention. Yeah, unless you've been living under a rock. I mean, you had to see that there's now, I think, more than 100 phones that have been, in, or devices, I should say, 5G devices have been announced or introduced to the market. There's rollouts going on in about half the globe right now with China, Japan, Korea, Australia, the U.S., throughout Europe, Canada, other areas. Uh, And even in the areas that haven't started rolling out 5G networks, they're planning on it starting in 2020. So we're seeing a massive rollout of devices, networks, everything that far exceeds what we've ever seen with any previous generation. Yeah, you know, it's rolling out very quickly, and I think there's real benefit to it, and the carriers know this, and that's why I think they're aggressively moving on 5G right now. Yeah, they're still. it's interesting because in some regions, especially the U.S., they're still charging a premium for 5G service. I don't think that's going to last through 2020. I think uh, competitive nature is going to bring that down to, <laughs> let's say, you know, either you offer it or you don't for the same price as 4G. Well, I think what the price increases are tying to the fact that with 5G, you get more bandwidth. Therefore, if there's any data caps, you're going to hit your data cap real quick. So the one way I think they're bundling it to give it uh, to raise the prices is they're bundling it with unlimited data, at least in the United States. So that's one reason why I think you see a price increase. Yeah, but like everything else, it comes down. Yeah. Okay, what about devices? Let's talk about devices. What do you think are some of the biggest device announcements or system announcements that we saw in 2019? Well, uh, riffing off the, the topic of smartphone, I think is I think and this is a I think is very controversial and that's the folding phones. And folding phones uh, were hinted at last year and I think we saw some real product this year and we saw products that got rolled out and then pulled back then rolled out again. <laughs> so it's, it's, you know, mechanically, I think they're, they're fragile right now. Although I have to say, I, the, the Razer phone from uh, Motorola. Motorola, yeah, is, is int- intriguing. It's got a different way of approaching the folding, so it doesn't, doesn't seem to really stress it as much. But, I mean, as an older guy, I remember the flip phone, so it's sort of a real retro uh, feel to it. But, you know, the... The Samsung's folding phone folds out into a kind of a square tablet. I know people, the number of the other analysts that we know who have them, love them. And so I, I'm, not, I'm not completely ready to discount it, but I still think they're very fragile. I think it's a brick, and I think it's too expensive. I think, although it's an innovative technology, the fact that they're trying to charge $2,000 for these phones, I think, is way too much for the market. Yeah, uh, that that's that's for sure. The price points are absolutely stratos stratospheric, stratoscopic. No, no, whatever. <laughs> stratospheric. Really <laughs> stratospheric. Yeah, really, really. They're ridiculously high. high. Uh, yes. <laughs> uh, yeah. So I mean, if, if you want to pay two thousand dollars for a phone that's very fragile and it can easily break, go ahead. You must have too much money. Yeah, I think one of the other interesting announcements was the Microsoft Surface Pro X. Now, we've already seen connected PCs using the ARM-based processors from Qualcomm out there for the last couple of years. But to see Microsoft finally commit their own product line with an ARM-based product again, I think was very significant. Reviews are mixed, especially in terms of battery life. 
but to see Microsoft finally step behind it, especially after their huge software investment, I think is a very important step for the always connected PC. Yeah, and, and I think one of the things that people don't realize is that Microsoft continues to work on the Windows on ARM platform. It's it's an evolving platform. It's going to get better over time. There's a new browser that's coming out, uh, the new Edge browser based that's based on Chromium. And they have an a ARM port for that coming. There's definitely going to be an improvement in performance and emulation capability or, or compatibility, I should say, over time. So this is a platform that's still going to get better over time. So it's even though there's some you know, some controversy today. And I think, like I said, some performance issues, some battery life issue on the Surface Pro X. This is a platform that's going to get better and better and better. Okay. I think the other platform that's interesting, and it's getting a lot of press right now, and some people have likened it to a smartphone on wheels, is the autonomous and electric vehicles. <laughs> and they are very interesting. I mean, we're, we're changing the face of the market, and we're basically going to something that looks like a cell phone. I mean, you look at a high-speed or electric vehicle, it essentially has a high-speed network. It has tons of sensors. It's got different types of computing for different functions, different interfaces for different functions. And when you push it towards autonomy, it pushes it even more towards that. So I think that's the other area that is probably the most interesting in 2019. Well, actually, it, it, the autonomous cars are, or, or, or semi-autonomous cars are interesting. They're kind of a, a mashup of, of a smartphone and a supercomputer. Because this, you've also, if the, for the higher level of autonomy, the the level three and level four, you definitely need supercomputer quality performance in terms of the machine learning uh, inference on those on those autonomous vehicles. So therefore, I, you know, it's it, I think it's a bit of a smartphone because it's got all the sensors and it's mobile, but it's also a mobile supercomputer in many ways because it's going to have lots of compute performance in order to do real-time calculations of for safety and, and for uh, autonomy. And the automotive market's changing drastically, too. I mean, as we look at it, a lot of the existing OEMs are trying to shift towards SUVs right now because they're making more money off them while they're trying to figure out how to fund their electric and autonomous vehicle development, Ford being a big notable one, uh, getting rid of most of its cars. But we've seen a lot of consolidation and partnerships. And we've even seen, you know, a lot of interest in the market. You know, uh, we'd be remiss if we didn't mention the Tesla Cybertruck. Now, they're not the only one introducing an electric truck, but they definitely caught the attention of everyone with something that looks like a... Post-apocalyptic survival vehicle. Okay, I was going to say a station wagon from the Jetsons, but okay, that works with me. (laughs) (laughs) Got to wrap some bars around it and some big knobby tires, and you're ready for the the apocalypse there. There you go, and some solar panels to keep it charged. Hey, you know, we forgot to mention (laughs) one of the more controversial things over this year was the, well, not controversial, but interesting was the all of the Qualcomm Apple legal wranglings that eventually all settled out with Qualcomm and, and Apple burying the hatchet and in Apple basically killing the 5G program at Intel by doing so. Yeah, that was interesting. It happened like just at the drop of a dime, just as they were about to go into court proceedings. All of a sudden they settled and I think Intel was the one that lost out the biggest on that one. Yeah, and then Intel sold the division to Apple for about a billion dollars, which, you know, maybe, you know, you say, well, a billion dollars is a lot for, for 
you know, design team. But at the same time, Intel had dumped many billions of dollars, I don't know how many untold billion dollars into that acquisition and, and investment. So that it was a net negative for Intel overall. Fundamentally, though, I don't, I don't think Intel was ever going to be able to pay back their investment in that, that business. Yeah, I agree. You know, and there's other areas that we don't have time to go into, but obviously wearables is still interesting. It's not a huge growth right now, but there's more watches, more clothes, more all kinds of things coming out. Earbuds. Earbuds are getting more and more popular. That's true. And also AR, VR. Yeah, actually, I think probably the, the breakout hit of this year is the uh, the Oculus Quest. It's a standalone headset, doesn't require a PC. It's got it's great performance. It's based on a Snapdragon platform. In fact, most of the AR, VR headsets this year that have been announced are all based on Qualcomm. I mean, it, they just about ran the, the entire deck of, of AR and VR headsets. Anything that's really hot uses Qualcomm right now. And um, the content is starting to come along. Beat Saber is a lot of fun, a great VR game. And then um, next year, Half-Life Alex is coming. And this is a continuation or of uh, the Half-Life series of games. And that's got a huge amount of interest for the gaming community. And people are really beginning to uh, looking at investing in VR just for that game. But it's a PC-based game today. Quest will be able to use, will be able to play it on Quest, but only with the um, USB-C cable connected to a PC. But yeah, it, I think content is finally starting to show up for VR. Yeah, we finally, I think, found the killer app, especially for VR. I think AR is still the killer app is industrial, but that's not going to have the high growth rates everyone really wanted. Okay, you know, obviously you can see that we have more to talk about that happened this year than we possibly cover. It's been a great year, but let's take a quick look at 2020. We're heading into CES in January, Mobile World Congress in February. There's going to be a ton of announcements. So, Kevin, just pick one. What do you think is going to be the biggest topic that, or, or two biggest topics of 2020? Well, I think, well, I think 5G continues to be the big topic, and it's going to we're going to see more at CES. You can see more obviously at MWC. It's going to be a the 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 topic of everybody's conversation is going to be 5G. So the rollouts really start to kick in in, in 2020. You'll see finally a an iPhone with a 5G in 2020. Now, that's not a, going to be a surprise to anybody. That's partly the reason why Apple was forced to settle with Qualcomm. But once Apple kicks in and has their 5G, and it, it, then it becomes, okay, accepted mainstream. You know, we'll see more Samsung. We'll, we'll see more and more handsets from the big vendors with 5G in 2020. And therefore, you're, if you're going to hire, buy a new phone in 2020, you're probably going to wind up buying a 5G handset. Yeah, I would agree. I would also think AI continues to be the main focus, whether it's we see some of these exotic solutions actually come to production or whether we just see more implementation. I think it's changing our industry so much. and It's going to change society eventually that I, it's a topic you can't ignore. Yeah. And, and you know, one of the things that we, we did talk about with edge AI, more and more of these devices will become intelligent. And so we'll start to get to the point, we'll start to see more federated learning. We'll, we'll see more incremental learning at the, on devices. More of the, of the AI will, will not be going up to the cloud or not be cloud-based. We'll see more devices that are locally intelligent and will locally learn, not necessarily just rely on cloud learning and changes. So I think that's 
we're going to see some real significant rollouts on that in 2020. I would agree. And these and all the other topics from semiconductor technology to AI to autonomous vehicles to new devices and products, we're going to be covering all of that at CES, Mobile World Congress, and all the other conferences we go to, not to mention through our standard research. So I guess with that, it brings us to a wrap of another Tyrius cast. Please remember that Tyrius Research is a market research and advisory firm that provides custom research and advice to the entire high-tech ecosystem from sensors to the cloud. This includes custom market sizing, product and company competitive analysis, M&A evaluations, product and corporate strategic planning, and marketing strategies. If you would like more information about Tyrius Research or inquire about our services, please contact us directly. I'm Kevin at Tyrius Research and Jim at Tyrius Research. He's my partner. That's T-I-R-I-A-S Research. All one word. You can also visit our website, www surprise, com. Please keep up with us on social media. Our official Twitter post is at Tyrius Research. I'm at Crewell, K-R-E-W-E-L-L. Jim is at Tech Strategist, which is spelled T-E-K-S-T-R-A-T-E-G-I-S-T. And then uh, we write for Forbes.com, EE Times, ECT News, so you'll see our uh, bylines there. We also have a number of white papers that are posted on our website. More are coming, and it's some of our interesting topics that we cover in the white papers. Also look for more inf- more information podcast from us, both on SoundCloud and with EE Times. Thank you again for joining us. If you have any feedback on this Tyrius cast or recommendations for future Tyrius casts, please contact us directly at Kevin at com or Jim at com. Thank you, and have a great holiday season. Happy holidays. Happy holidays.